bless you today, Jesus. There is none like you. We worship you today. We give you glory and honor today, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. What a wonderful presence the Lord is here tonight. There's nothing that the Lord cannot do for us. We just open our hearts and allow Him in. If you will turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. I will begin reading first with verse 22. And then I'm going to skip down, instead of reading all of it, skip down to uh, verse 32. For as Adam... As in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And then actually verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. And for a little while tonight, I want to talk to you about the struggle of the two Adams. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Uh, before I begin tonight, I have a uh, praise report. Uh, most of you don't know, but my brother had to have surgery this morning on his sinuses and in the process of them uh, examining him for his sinus issue they decided to look at his voice or his vocal cords and discovered that he had a polyp on his vocal cords so while they were fixing his deviated septum and aerating some sinus cavities. Uh, they were going to fix his vocal cord at the same time. And so they went in this morning, and when the doctor came out to talk to us, he said, we fixed the sinuses, but the polyp was gone, and we couldn't see anything wrong. Um, so... He got a great report. He was supposed to not be able to talk for about two weeks at all, and then he would have been on voice rest for quite some time. But uh, you know how well my brother likes to talk. That would have been the worst thing that could have ever happened to him. The Lord stepped in and intervened today, and uh, he is doing very well. He's at home. I'm sure he's not feeling well, uh, but he's doing well. And so if you'd remember him in your prayers. Several weeks ago, I was reading the writings of Luke and noticed uh, in Luke, the 15th chapter, when Luke is recording the parable that Jesus taught, or the three parables that Jesus taught, Luke says that the publicans and sinners came to hear him. And as Jesus was speaking to the publicans and sinners, Pharisees came and began to mock him and 
to ridicule him for having anything to do with publicans and sinners. And so Jesus starts three parables. One is a lost sheep, one out of a hundred. The other is a lost coin, one out of ten. And then there is the lost son, one out of two. If you look at those parables carefully, you, you discover that there are conditions that produce the different types of, of losses or how people get lost. The first was a sheep, one out of a hundred. Sheep have no sense of direction. If they wander away from the flock, they don't know how to get home. They're not like a cow or a horse. When you turn them loose, they know where to find a feed stall, and they can make their way home. If a sheep gets lost with no sense of direction, the odds are it will panic, and it will begin to run. And as it runs, trying to find its way home, it often will hurt itself or fall into a crevice or maybe even plunge off of a cliff because of this inability to find its way home. So the shepherd, knowing the nature of his sheep, decided that he would lock the 99 up without any kind of supervision. He put them in the sheepfold and went and searched until he found that lost sheep. And when he has found it, he brings it home, Jesus said, and then he calls his neighbors and he has a feast he celebrates. And at the end of the celebration, Jesus makes the statement that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repented. The next illustration is ten coins. These are things lost not by nature, but by neglect. The sheep is lost because it's its nature or it has no ability to find home. The coins were lost because of carelessness. Someone placed them somewhere and one was dropped or one was lost, however it was lost. She first sweeps the house, and once the house is swept and she can find the coin, again she celebrates and calls her neighbors. And Jesus again says that there is joy in heaven when a, that the angels rejoice when a sinner repents. Then he gives the story of two sons. A son, the younger son, and an older son. And in all actuality, both of these sons are lost. One is lost at home, and the other one is lost away from home. The son who stayed home was no better off than the son who left. The son who stayed home came in out of the world, which, or, or out of the field, which literally translates he came in out of the world. So here we have a people who are lost by choice not because it's nature or carelessness, but there was a willful act or there, there was a decision to do something. One stayed at home and claimed to follow all of his father's laws. He said, I have never violated one of your laws. Now, I'm sure that was probably a lie. I don't know of any child that can say to its parent, I have never violated one of your laws. But this young man claimed he had, that he had never violated the law. His dad didn't say, now, son, 
you know you're not telling the truth and remind him of those times that he did. He didn't even argue with him about whether or not he violated the law. He just began to talk to him and and try to help him understand that your brother was actually dead to us. We had no clue where he was at. We had no clue what his life was. And now he's alive. So we should rejoice. And if you look at these things that are lost, they're lost by choice, by carelessness, by nature. Uh, but the thing that caught my attention was the fact that angels rejoice. Why do angels rejoice when one sinner repents. I don't know that I can find anywhere else in the Scripture that it lets me know that in heaven, whenever uh, something happens, that angels celebrate. But Jesus said, when a sinner repents, the angels celebrate. What is it that allows that to happen? I got to thinking about that and and the Lord took me on a little journey. And I, I started in the garden with that first Adam and, and started looking at everything that he had. He had the best of everything. He had a perfect world without conflict, without any kind of problems. Actually, the Bible indicates at that time in man's life there wasn't any thorns and thistles. There, there was nothing to irritate him. His, his life was without any kind of irritation or conflict, but yet... In this place of perfect peace and a place where there's not even a knowledge of sin and, and there's no knowledge of right and wrong. In this environment that everything is the way it should be. The first Adam became lazy about his responsibility. The first Adam decided that it wasn't really necessary to do some things that God told him to do. See, God gave him two jobs. First job is you dress this garden. That literally translates you keep it clean. You pick it up. If a limb falls off a tree, it, it is your responsibility to pick the limb up and not allow the garden to become cluttered. You keep it clean. He was Adam was the first janitor. It was his responsibility to take care of the place. The second job he was given was to keep the garden. And it's your decision or your responsibility to decide who comes in and who goes out of this garden. No one can get into this garden without your permission. And so when Satan shows up to tempt Eve, the first Adam did not protect what he should have protected. He, he, he allowed an enemy into his life thinking or maybe believing that he was the angel of life. I really don't think Adam was so naive he didn't understand any of these issues. He had the ability to walk with God in the cool of the day, and the Bible indicates he spent time with God. If he spent time with God, Adam was aware of his world and the conditions around him. Adam wasn't so naive that, that he would just look at things and say, well, you know, what's wrong with this? There was already rebellion beginning to build in his life before the fall ever took place. You say, Brother Hughes, you can't prove that. Oh, yes, I can. I have been married to this lady for almost 43 years. Now, I can promise you in 43 years of marriage, there's been a couple of times she ticked me off. Just one or two. Not a whole lot. Just a couple. 
Now, I know there's many times I've ticked her off. But I've never been ticked off enough. I was willing to see her die. Adam was. Adam wasn't lost somewhere in the garden. He, he wasn't out with the animals. He, he wasn't looking at giraffes or, or lions. He, he wasn't somewhere else when Satan shows up. Bible says that Eve gave the fruit to Adam who was with her. He wasn't somewhere else. Adam is standing listening to a conversation. He's hearing what Satan is asking his wife. He's walking along, the three of them, and there's a conversation going on between Satan and Eve. And he's hearing this conversation. And and Satan is saying to her, what has God told you about the tree in the midst of the garden? Do you know why Satan approached Eve? Because Eve had been lied to. Eve hadn't been told the truth. Before sin shows up, Adam is not telling the truth. He didn't know he wasn't telling the truth because he didn't have a knowledge of of right and wrong or good and evil. So, you know, that indicates that in our nature, we have this ability to lie. Part of us. You ever wonder why your children lie to you all the time? You can go all the way back to Adam. It was in Adam before the fall. You say, Brother Hughes, how can you prove that? Well, God never told Adam to say the things that he said to Eve. When Eve says or or is asked, what has God said about the tree in the midst of the garden? Eve's response is, God has said of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, Thou shalt not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. There's a law of learning called the law of reverse effect. If I tell you not to think about the color purple, what's the first thing that pops in your mind? If you want your children to do something, tell them not to do it. God didn't say don't touch. Do you realize the moment she picks up the fruit, whatever it was, and doesn't die, she's convinced the second part is not true. The reason Satan attacked her was because the first Adam wasn't protecting her. He left her unprotected. God gave Adam instructions, and Adam was to pass it on to everyone that would precede him generation to generation. He was to say and tell them what God had said. But he didn't do that. Instead of saying what God said, he added to what God said. What is a lie? It's anything other than the truth, whether you take away from it or add to it. So when he says, I can't touch it, that's a lie. Because God said nothing about touching. God only said, don't eat. So Adam has, has somehow decided that, that not being truthful is acceptable behavior. Now, we can argue whether he had a knowledge of what he was doing or not. And the Bible says he didn't know right from wrong. So maybe he didn't understand the difference. But he he knew how to tell things that weren't there. See, human beings are made in the image of God. You have God's nature inside of you. 
You're made like him. You, you have an ability that none of his creation has but you. That nature of God that's inside of you is not a will. We, we like to say that man has a will and, and that makes him different than the other creation. Well, that's not true because angels have wills as well or Satan could not have rebelled. So a will is not what separates us from all the other creation. What separates man from all the other creation is the image of God or the nature of God that lives in every man. And that nature of God that lives in all of us is our creativity. We have this incredible ability to create. You, you can't plant a seed and grow this iPad. It, it doesn't fall off a tree. You can't mine it out of the earth. You can't take all of its parts, however many there are, and lay them on a large blanket and throw it up in the air and it falls down an iPad. Well, that's evolution. It just happened. There's enough parts present. You keep throwing them up enough times and eventually they'll all fall in place and make whatever you're looking for. But that doesn't happen. How, how did it get here? The creative nature of God living in humans gives us power to create. We have an incredible ability to create. We can create good or we create evil. It's, it's our choice. It's my, my choice, my decision, whether I, I want to, my life to revolve around being good or revolve around being bad. Uh, people tell me all the time that, you know, Brother Hughes, I, I just can't help myself. You know, some things just happen and I have no control over it. We have learned how to lie to ourselves. We learn how to deceive ourselves. We can control anything we choose. We just have to choose to do it. You see, some of the things you do in life, you can't do at work or they'll fire you. So that means you can control it. You can scream and holler and rant and rave at home, but you go to work and do that, and they'll show you the front door until you leave. So if you can control it at work, the odds are you can control it at home too. But our human nature says we don't have to. We lie to ourselves about what we're responsible for and what we're not responsible for and what we can do and can't do. And so my creative nature gives me this ability to create evil. The devil didn't create pornography. Man did. The devil didn't create alcohol. Man did. The devil didn't create drugs. Man did. All, All these things are evil in our world are the result of a human being that has the nature of God and the creativity of God living in him, and he can either choose to be good or he can choose to be evil. And Adam discovered that creative nature. He created a lie. That was his first creation, was to make up something God didn't say. Now, when Adam says to Eve, God says, we can't touch that fruit. God did not intervene and change what Adam was doing, nor attack Adam or correct Adam. God was still there in the cool of the day. From Adam's creation and Eve's creation to the fall, we have no idea how long a period of time It could have been a hundred years. It could have been a thousand years. We have no clue how long that time frame was. But somewhere in that time frame, Adam is to give instructions to Eve, and he changes the instructions. And he says, you know, God says we, we can't even touch that fruit. When it falls off, I don't pick that up. I just leave it alone. See, his responsibility was when that fruit began to change, 
and to, to decay. He was to remove it, keep the garden clean. So he knew he could pick it up because God told him to clean the place. Don't let rotten fruit lay here and, and smell the place up. Take care of it. But he didn't do it. He made a choice. And man became selfish and self-centered in the garden. It became about him. When God shows up to inquire of Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, well, we're, we're hiding, God. And God says, why are you hiding, Adam? And Adam's response is, because we discovered we were naked and we're, we're hiding. And God says to Adam, Adam, who told you you were naked? He, he, he didn't even answer that question. He just says, you know that woman you made. This is not my fault. This is your fault. You created this problem. Deal with it. This is your responsibility, God. You caused all this stuff to happen. Then God says to Eve, Eve, how this happen? She said, you know that serpent, the devil? Well, that's our two biggest excuses for everything we do. Either the God told us to do it in prayer and it's the will of God, or, or the devil tempted me or put words in my mouth or thoughts in my mind, and so it's the devil's fault or God's fault. And the fact is, it's neither one. The fact is, it's the first Adam living in me that has this incredible ability to be evil if I turn him loose. And that first Adam living inside of you has no limits unless you put limits on him. It has no restraints unless I restrain him. If you don't believe that, look at our world. Look at what's happened to our world when we've taken all the restraints off. When I was a kid, if a man cursed in the presence of a female, they would arrest him and take him to jail. Every state today has those laws on their books. But they're not enforced. Why? Because we took all the limits off. We, we just decided that there's... There's nothing we can't do, and there's nothing that will allow or, or prevent us from saying what we want to say. We got First Amendment rights, and so because we're Americans, we can say what we want to say and do what we want to do. And so because there's no restraints, look at what man's doing there. He's doing what he wants to do, and, and it's becoming more and more prevalent as the restraints are removed and, and sin becomes greater. We're not shocked anymore. I remember coming to Houston in the early 70s. Eldon and I came in 1971 to go to Bible college. We were here just a little while, and there, we were, I was driving down the freeway one day. I don't remember where I was going. But I noticed a billboard on the Gulf Freeway past Griggs, somewhere up along Telephone Road. And it, it was very... Lewd. Some radio station had taken the outline of a woman's body and put it on the board and, and painted it with, with Pasley so that it just had a form, but it had designs in it. And it caused such an uprise in this community. It made the news, and they eventually took the billboard down because it was obscene. Now we don't blush anymore. There's nothing obscene. There's no language that's obscene. Why? Because we've taken all the restraints off of first Adam. 
and we're allowing first Adam to become as selfish and self-centered as he wants to be, and, and everybody applauds selfishness. Nobody's going to ridicule you or, or, or say anything to you derogatorily because you're selfish. They'll applaud your selfishness. Selfishness is I'm my own person. When I say I'm my own person, what I'm really saying is I'm my own God, and I don't need God. The second Adam came into this world. His name was Jesus. And the second Adam shows up and starts doing what the first Adam should have done. And what the second Adam starts doing is protecting what's in his garden. And he starts protecting the humans that, that he created. And, and when the humans he created are in trouble and they drag these people in and, and want Jesus to pass judgment on them, he, he protects them because they're his responsibility. He didn't say, he, he said, I didn't come to seek and save those that are not lost. I, I didn't come to save those who know God. I come to seek and save that which is lost. I'm looking for the people who have no clue about their life, where they're going, or what's happening. A person who doesn't know where his life is going is not self-centered. The person who thinks he's got it all figured out, life's about him and nobody else. Jesus came as the second Adam to put back in place what the first Adam had messed up. So the second Adam shows up and shows us how to live the law without violating it. The first Adam shows up and shows us what we really should have been and how we really should have left, lived. The first Adam should have shown love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, meekness, forbearance, and faith. He didn't, though. He didn't show love. He didn't show joy. He didn't show peace. First Adam couldn't do it. But the second Adam showed up, and he shows us how to live an overcoming life. And how do you live an overcoming life? You love people who don't love you. You, you, you respond to people who are not kind. You, you don't hurt people who hurt you. You, you don't despise people that despise you. You pray for those that despitefully use you. you. You pray for your enemy. You love your enemy. You treat your enemy with dignity and respect. You, you become what I created you to be, a kind person, a nice person, a forgiving person, a tolerant person. But first Adam, he, he lost all of that. Second Adam says, okay, let's put it back in place. And he said, here, here is the fruit I expect in your life. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness. That's God's nature. The first Adam could have had it if he chose to. Now, I'm going to say something. I hope I don't bother your theology when I say this. But these are things you can do without the Holy Ghost. So you don't have to have God in your life to love people. You don't have to know God to love somebody. You, you don't have to be a, a, a Christian to, to love people. 
He put it in your nature. You're made in his image. All of that's in you if you just let it out. But instead of letting joy out or love out, we let hate out and and revenge out. And, And we let all these other things out of our life because our world says you don't have to put up with nothing. If somebody does you wrong, then you got a right to get even. If somebody hurts you, then you got a right to get in their face and do whatever you need to do. But that's the first Adam. That's not the second Adam. The second Adam says, If thy brother smite thee on the right cheek, flatten him. Is that what he said? Just deck him. If he smites you on the right cheek, you got my permission to take him out. Is that what he said? That's what we say. Somebody does me wrong, they're going to pay. I'm watching these six little kids grow up around my house. They're teaching me so much about life. I've discovered your most powerful need in life is not food, water, shelter, or clothing. But your most powerful need in life is revenge. You are born with it. It is inbred in you. It, it, is, it is part of your nature. And when somebody does you wrong, it, it's, they got to pay. And they don't only have to pay. They have to pay in such a way that they will remember they better never do this again because of the consequences they might suffer as a result. Several summers ago, three of them were at my house. And the oldest one comes in the room crying and says, Mozzie, Mozzie, called the other one by name and said, she pulled my hair. So my wife calls her and says, come here. Did you pull your sister's hair? She didn't say a word. She just held up her hand. Out between her fingers were strings of blonde hair. She didn't pull her hair. She pulled it out. So my wife gave her instruction on why that wasn't appropriate at our house. And stimulated multiple nerve endings. And placed her in time out on the couch beside us. She sat there for about 20 minutes and sniffled a while. And finally, after about 20 minutes, my wife said, now, Sophia. Whoops. Don't tell her I said this. I'm glad they're not in here. Can you play with your sister without pulling her hair? Oh, Mozzie, I promise I will never pull her hair again. Now, that's what the older son said to the father. She, knowing kids, didn't say, Now, I know you can't make that promise. You'll probably do this tomorrow. But Sophie promised us never to pull her hair again. And she did keep her promise. I don't know if she ever did it after that day. But I'm sitting here on the couch looking in the playroom. And I watched her get off the couch and walk in the playroom. And when she walked past her sister, she reached out, got a handful of hair, and yanked her off her feet. It didn't matter that she had watched Mozzie solve this problem. It wasn't good enough. Part of your nature says, it doesn't matter what somebody else does to them. I'm going to do something to them so bad that they'll think twice about ever doing this again. See, that's my nature. That's yours, if you'll admit it. See, that's the first Adam. 
first Adam says, you do something to me, I'm going to get you. You're worthless. You're no good thing. And you're going to say things to them or do things to them because they hurt you and they deserve punishment. Second Adam shows up and says, no, vengeance belongs to my father. And he will not tolerate you stepping into that arena. It's not your privilege to do that. That belongs to God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. You don't have the permission to do that. So, second Adam says, if he smites thee on the right cheek. By the way, that's your left one. No. If he smites you on the right cheek and he's facing you, he has to backhand you. To swing at you like you normally would, he'd catch your left one, not your right one. So for you to get smote on the right cheek, somebody has to assault you or humiliate you with a backhand. Jesus said, turn the other. I I remember talking about this in Bible college to about 130 freshmen, late 90s. and I asked them, what do you think Jesus meant when he said that? For about 30 minutes, it just rumbled. They had all kinds of, of things that... That, that this could mean. And, and finally, in the back of the room, after about 30 minutes, a young man piped up, and he said, well, I'm glad it don't say what to do afterwards. That's our nature. We got it figured out. See, we think, because the Bible says love is not easily provoked, That indicates there's a line that love can go past. Somewhere over there is a line. So if you push me and I don't respond, that's not easy. And if you push me some more and I don't respond, that's not, I'm still not easy. If you push me, see, it's easily provoked. But there's a line over here. If I get pushed far enough, then I got a right. Amazing what's in this book. (laughs) The literal translation of that scripture says, love keeps no record of wrong. Now, for all of you outgoing people that can sell snow cones to Eskimos, that will never bother you. But for all of us task-oriented people, that's not fair. Because I got a memory like an elephant, and I can remember the day, the time, and the place, and how you did it. And my nature says that that's not right. I I have to give that up? No, that's just not fair, God. That's what he asks of us. See, the first Adam's going to argue about it. Second Adam says, no, here's how you live life. You, you, You want someone to know how much you love them? You'll crawl on a cross for them. You'll die for them. You want to know... How, how much you care about them or they, you'll, you'll demonstrate it by your life. The second Adam wasn't self-centered. He, he wasn't looking to find the limelight or to be the center of attention or to, 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 to be the center of the show. His attitude was, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. The second Adam is not looking for a name or position. The second Adam is looking for servanthood. And it's not about me, it's about you. The second Adam showed every one of the characteristics of God. He was love. 
and he loved people who didn't love him. He expressed joy and, and, and showed joy. There are so many incidents in the Bible, I don't have time to go into them, that, that illustrate or prove that Jesus made his disciples laugh often because laughter's from God. The Bible says it doeth good like a medicine. You need to learn how to laugh. You need to, God did it. You, know, you don't think God has a sense of humor? Look at us. I mean, think about it. He, he, he makes a complete man, then takes him apart and takes out of him the part of him that has the ability to communicate and sticks it in somebody else. The part of him that can nurture is no longer there. That belongs to Eve now. So now we have one who's the provider protector that lives by the premise, kill and eat. And the other who can nurture and give life and and, and is the nurture of life. And and these two are going to live happily ever after. You're not going to ride off the sunset and live happily ever after. You're going to ride off the sunset and butt heads. There's a goat in all of us. It's part of our nature. That's the first Adam that's there, that we got to learn how to control and, and, and to bring in subjection and allow the second Adam to become part of our life, which is the spiritual man. It's, it's not me living my life by my flesh. It's me deciding to allow the Holy Ghost to reign and live in my life. And I have to make a choice. Who's going to have the, the decision of my life? Who's who, which one will be the defining point of my life? Will it be a spiritual definition or a fleshly definition? See, you don't need a devil to be bad. You, it's all right inside of you. you. You just need somebody to blame for it because it's not your fault and you didn't do it. The devil made you. He put thoughts there, words there, and it's, it's not my doing, it's the devil's. No, it's not the devil's. It's flesh doing. Galatians five seventeen says, The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit lusteth against the flesh. And these two are contrary one to another. That word contrary is a war term. It means they have arranged themselves and battle, and they are battling one another. My flesh is battling my spirit. And my spirit is battling my flesh. But I'm the one who's making the decision on how I'm responding or who gets to win here. If I want my flesh to win, it's easy to let him win. If I want my spirit to win, it's easy to let him win. It's not hard to be a spiritual person. Especially if you have the Holy Ghost. What makes being a spiritual person such an impossible task for us? Oh, we, we, we're, we're wrestling against principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. Well, you've got to interpret the Bible with the Bible. Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, bringing into captivity every 
thought to the obedience of Christ. The war is right here in my brain. It's, it's, it's a flesh war and a spirit war. It, it's my human nature, that first Adam that wants everything his way and, and, and it's, it's gets fed up with things so quickly. You know, without sin, Adam and Eve, they weren't getting along. I have no clue what caused them not to get along, but it's quite obvious because I love that lady there. And if I thought she was about to die, I would do everything in my power to keep that from happening. Even though she might have kicked me off, it's never been the point I want to see her life gone. I'd do whatever I could to protect her. But Adam stood there with folded arms watching Now it's easy for him to eat when she doesn't die. See, he had several ribs left. He was awed by the first one. When God brought Eve to Adam after he awoke him from his anesthesia, and and, and he presents Eve, the Bible says he called her woman. That word's really hard to translate. Actually, our word's not even close to it. One translator says, wow, oh, wow. He was impressed. He liked what he saw. But whatever he liked in paradise, without any interference from some other person trying to win them or or their eyes getting distracted by another human, in paradise, where there's no reason to lust after somebody else, they're not there. In paradise, just the two of them, they had issues. They didn't get along. And he's willing to watch her die to see if God's serious. He wanted a new model. He's, he's ready for a different version. That's still our world, isn't it? That's our human nature. That's Adam number one. Second Adam shows up and says, oh, you've missed it. There, there's not something better coming along? You're, you're looking for something extraordinary? No, I, I made it in the garden. And, and if you really want to have a great life, then it still is available. Because the only thing that didn't die from the first garden, from paradise, was marriage. Your only hope of paradise is marriage. You want a best life? Then treat each other with dignity and respect and learn how to love one another when you don't like them. You have to love when they're not lovable. You choose to love anyway. You choose to have joy. The joy of the Lord is what? It's my strength. The joy of the Lord. James said, count it all joy. You create joy when the struggles and temptations of life come. Joy is a decision. Paul, standing before Agrippa, said, Oh, Agrippa, I think myself happy. Happiness is your decision. You want to be happy? Then get happy. Nobody can keep you from not being happy. It's your choice. Your world can't keep you from being happy. It's your decision. You can either be bitter about life or better about life. It's just that, it's that simple. 
there's no magical pills you can take that's going to change any of this. It's a decision you make when you get up in the morning. You know what? I'm going to have a good day. I don't care what life throws me. Come on, devil. Let's see what you throw at me today. I'm going to laugh in your face, and I'm going to have a good life because the second Adam lives inside of me, and he knows what your end is, and you can't bring me any harm that I can't handle. Your, your weapons, are, they, they have all dried up. Oh, you got some fiery dark today. So the... Only thing you can do to me is harass me. So throw your dart. Let's see what you can do to me, Dad. True child of God, full of the Holy Ghost, that knows who they are, is the devil's worst nightmare. Because you have the power to get up every morning and say, All right, God, what part of the devil's territory would you like rearranged today? Just point me in that direction. I'm going to go rearrange some territory. Just give me an insight. What what area? And I promise you, if you pray that prayer, God will send somebody along that you will have the ability to rearrange his territory because you'll find somebody that he's worked on pretty bad and you can give them an answer how to change their life. First church did. They changed their world. They walk into a world that's so full of, of junk. That there's so much evil Arenas are, are, are built. There's one in, in Judea by Caesarea. There's, there's an arena there, an amphitheater, where they'd bring people and turn animals loose on them and, and watch the animals devour them and clap and applaud when, when they saw people devoured by an animal. We're not that bad yet. Headed there, but we hadn't got to that part yet. But That's where the first church started. Life wasn't good for them. Every day of their life. Paul, in this Corinthian letter, says that, that every day of my life I live with a death threat. Every morning I get up, there's a possibility somebody might kill me today because they hate us. But he changed his world. Less than 150 years after his death, there are no temples to Diana or Astrath or Zeus. They've all been converted. They're now Christians. Ten million Christians buried in the catacombs of Rome alone. Just underneath the city of Rome. Ten million. That's an incredible number. They changed their world. We have the same power. But it can't happen if you don't subdue the first atom. If you don't get the first atom control, we're not changing nothing. We're just going to act like everybody around us. We're going to become like them. Our nature's going to be like, and we're going to justify our behavior by making excuses. Well, I couldn't help myself, or, or I, I just, I don't know why I do this, or uh, it's just beyond my ability to cope or handle, and that's a lie. You got the Holy Ghost living inside of you, and that's the power that created Jesus and changed the world. And if that power is living in me, I have the power to change anything I choose to change if I choose to do it. Blessed are the peacemakers, not seekers. We don't create it or find it. We create it. We have the power to walk in any kind of circumstance and bring a change to it because the second Adam is alive in our life. And if we allow the second Adam to be the influence of our life, we can show joy, we can show peace, we can show kindness, we can show gentleness, we can show long-suffering. We can teach our world how to be different if we choose. It's my choice. As I was reading Luke, 
it became obvious to me that the reason angels celebrate is when a human being will admit that they're human and that we are evil and I'm a sinner. And the moment I can admit my failure and my sin, heaven starts celebrating. Heaven begins to rejoice. There's a celebration in heaven when humans stand up and say, you know what, I messed up today. Jesus, would you please forgive me? I, I need you in my life. I'm a failure. I can't do it right. I'm making mistakes. Jesus, forgive me for being a sinner. And when you repent, heaven celebrates. Why? Because heaven saw an angel of light destroy the beauty of God's creation. And the only way they can see the victory is when the humans that were wrecked by that enemy that destroyed their kingdom now discovers, you know, I, I, I'm a failure. I can't do this by myself. I need God in my life. I'm God-dependent. And when I put God in my life and I become God-dependent, then I can change my world. And heaven starts celebrating when human beings are not selfish and self-centered and admit, I'm a human. I'm flesh. And this flesh needs to be controlled. This flesh, it can get out of hand. How do I control it? Oh, that's easy. I can make it pray. I can make it fast. I can drag it to an altar and make it repent. It's not going to control me. I'm going to control it. It's not going to define me. I'm going to define it. It's not going to be the center. I'm going to become second Adam. I'm on purpose in my life to start looking like Adam number two instead of Adam number one. Adam number one wrecked his world. I don't want to be the wrecker of the world I live in. I don't want people to know me as, as the guy that nobody could get along with. He was, he, he was so out of control that nobody wanted to be around him. Adam number two was so gentle. Nobody was afraid of him. He didn't intimidate anybody. Everybody was comfortable in his presence. Children were comfortable with him. Why? Because he was gentle. The first Adam brought death. The second Adam brought life. The first Adam brought destruction. The second Adam brought the ability to get your kingdom back. The ability to become what God created you to be in the beginning. And that's a child of God. Now, our world today is not encouraging us to do any of this. If we're not careful, we can be defined by the world, which is Adam 1, or we can be defined by him, which is the second Adam. It's my choice. Please stand.